Lord, thank you for this time together, and thank you for your word, and help us to learn this afternoon, and we pray for Jimmy to have a safe trip here, and we pray for the night service to Stephen, and bless the preaching of your word to all who hear, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we've been talking about election, and uh, we're going to end that soon here, and we'll move on to the next thing. So anyway, I'll try to leave right here instead of all that stuff. But uh, can you guys hear me? Okay. Seems like it's lower now or something. It's better. So anyway, we talked about how, you know, people charge, uh, people have, you know, they have misunderstandings of election. They say it's fatalism, you know, it's just, there's nothing, it's just a life is fatalistic and all. They say that be based, election's not based on God's foreknowledge of our faith, or, or they say that it is based on God's foreknowledge of our faith. God looks down the quarters of time, right? And we and we said no, that was not true. Um, we talked about foreknowledge is, has to do with persons, not facts. Romans eight twenty nine, God foreknew us, foreknew people. Didn't say anything about them, just foreknew them. Period. Scripture number two, Scripture never speaks of our faith as the reason God chose us. He chose us by His own reason. Number three, election based on something good in us would be the beginning of salvation by merit. Election is not based on something good in us because that's, that'd be, the whole idea is ridiculous. Number four, predestination based on foreknowledge still does not give people free choice because even if, they, if God looked down and fixed their choice from eternity based on their will, well, it's still fixed in, etern- in history. So when we come to time and these people are born and all, their choice has already been made. You know? uh, number five, you know, I thought of it this way, too. Go ahead, Wendell. I was just going to say real quick, people say, well, it's not fair to have, a, uh, well, we'll get into unfair, unfair in a minute, but election because I don't have a choice that way. But let's just say they could make the choice for Christ on their own. Well, would they? What's the chance of it happening? Of it happening? Let's say they had the opportunity to make it on their own. Maybe a 50-50 chance we'll give them. Just say, just throw out these odds. I don't know. Go ahead, Wendell. They can't do that. Yeah. In other words, if God looked down in history and saw that Wendell was going to believe, according to their theory, and then he chose you based on your decision that he would see it was going to happen in time, in history, and then you came along and were born and lived and you, and you heard the gospel and believed or didn't believe, well, your choice is already fixed from eternity, even if it was up to you at that point, you know, based on their reasoning. So, Number five, conclusion, election is unconditional. Um, okay. Objections to the doctrine of election number five, again, <laughs> five without the parentheses. Uh, election means that we do not have a choice in whether we trust in Christ or not. People object to that. They say we don't have a choice in whether we trust in Christ or not, but the Bible never says it that way. It gives people choices, you know, and the Bible, the, the, the invitations, I, I talked about this already, what we're talking about right now. You know, John three eighteen, John three sixteen, whosoever, you know, believes in him should have eternal life. So all those are choices. Uh, and then I said often the faith exercised in Christ is spoken of as a person's own. This is where we're going to start. The faith exercised in, in Christ is spoken of as a person's own, even though God elected us. Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 24, uh, Luke chapter 7. Do you see that in your notes, Luke 7, 4, 44? 
Wow, AC comes down strong, doesn't it? One thing about this church, you don't have to worry about the well. So far, I'm not going to say anything. Forget it. <laughs> so far, we haven't had to worry about the air conditioning, right? Like the ballroom, it was always not working right. You know, remember the disaster the ceiling was? What a disaster. Anyway, <laughs> what's that? Don't teach it. Oh, jinx it. Okay, okay, yeah, right, right, right. No, believers say it too. I say it. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. Right, right, right. Not just blind luck, yeah. yeah. Right. If I was tampering with it, then right. I would have to. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then also, like the teacher said, yeah. And I like sports, and sports guys, especially baseball players, are highly superstitious. And you'll see them in the dugout, sitting with their hat like a certain way, or they didn't, they didn't cut their beard. Because the last time they were growing their beard, they got a home run. And they'll sit there for, you know, eight weeks in a row trying to get that home run again, whatever, yeah. with the beard or whatever. A million superstitions these people have. But that, that's true. That's how, how it works. Look at uh, Luke 7.44. And watch how this is uh, phrased. Jesus, Jesus turning to the, toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see, this is when the woman came in and, you know, poured ointment on Jesus' feet. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is worthy loves little. Then he says to, says to her, your sins have been forgiven you. Your sins have been forgiven those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. It's your faith that saved you. So you see that we talk about election. See, this is where people go off the, the deep end and, and with the scriptures. They, you know, there's the group that is out there pushing election so strongly, and the other group's pushing the, uh, the opposite, you know. But the Bible says both. That's why we got to accept both. It says your faith, you know. People, yeah, I know people are elected, but then again, it's in time and history. It's spoken of as a personal decision I have to make. It's my faith, you know, even though we know God gives the gift of faith. still spoken of that way. Does that make sense? I mean, it says it. That's what it says. Uh, go to Luke 18, 35. Luke 18, 35. And I have these references, I believe, down there. 18, 35 to 42. 1835, as Wendell, you want to read 1835 to 42? Thank you. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's good. Your faith has made you well again. I mean, because he's he's letting them know this isn't a decision that is just like you're not like a robot or something. You're, you know, this is your faith. Uh, number five. Um, I know I got objections to the doctrine of election. Uh, I got a better. I have a better numbering system here, probably. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, your faith. You know, then you look at Ephesians two eight nine. We don't need to turn there, but he says, "For by grace are you saved through faith, and what? That not of yourselves, right?" The gift of God. So it's the gift of God, and yet it's also spoken of as your faith. So both are true. I mean, God gives the gift, but there's this personal element involved. I have to make a decision to trust Christ in time, you know, in history. Um, every every passage that, you know, we want every passage to say everything, you know, every in the Bible. We want it to say, uh, oh, yeah, don't you remember you're elected, and then and you, and yet your, your personal decision, and there's regeneration, and you got all this. No, it's not how it is, because the Bible's always trying to emphasize a lot of times in a passage, one thing, one main thing, maybe, and then not trying to tell every the whole story, you know. Stephen was asking me about certain things in Hebrews really recently. I said, Stephen, what does the passage say? All these guys out there in their theology talking about a thousand things, but what is this passage in Hebrews in the context of Hebrews actually saying right now? Just worry about that, you know, instead of everybody and their brother out there saying a bunch of stuff. It's not going to do anybody any good to, to think about all this stuff. So yeah, that's all we have to do, you know. Um, what, what is the passage actually saying in its context? It's only trying to it's certain, emphasize certain things in certain contexts, you know, for certain reasons. So, All right, B, the doctrine of election makes us puppets. This is an objection or robots, not real persons. We just talked about this, but, um, but it never hints at that. It never, you know, you know, people say that. Well, it's just you're some kind of puppet then. Well, the Bible, the Bible never says that anywhere. That's just people object that. Our choices are real. And you see the choices made in the Bible, they're real choices. They're, they, uh, they, the decisions are real. Um, and it, the whole thing is because if unbelievers are, or even believers can't accept the truth about these things just by looking at the scripture. They just can't accept what it says, you know, and they won't accept it because of their own personal reasons. So, um, you know, we have to follow what the scripture says. D, the doctrine of D. I went from B to D. Well, it's such a great numbering system I have. I can't even do the alphabet correctly. <laughs> B, the doctrine of election. D, doctrine of election means that unbelievers never had a chance to believe. That unbelievers never had a chance to believe. Well, did, do unbelievers have a chance to believe in time, in history? Look at Matthew 23, 37. I know this is not easy when we're talking about all these things. Uh, but we have to accept bo both sides of the coin. Uh, it's easy. What's easy? I'll tell you what's easy. Bypass this whole deal. Like a lot of the guys that go in the pulpit and preach, they bypass election altogether. For years, I was in a church that didn't hold the election. The churches didn't. They didn't. You know what? The, the, what, the, what they what they said about it? Nothing. The next to nothing ever about it. Never touched the passages that talked about it. Why? It's easier not to. It's much easier not to do it. You know. Uh, it's much easier not to deal with half the Bible. I'd rather not, you know, if, you don't, if I wanted it to be easy, I won't even deal with half it. I'll just stick with my favorite passages, whatever. So, well, I hope he's got a closed container is all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I need some water too. Sandy brought me a cup, and I thought, <laughs> Sandy brought me a cup of water in the day. I was sitting back there, and I thought, oh man, somebody sees, and they're gonna say, hey, didn't you make the rule about closed containers? I was, that's got to do with coffee, though. Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. Uh, what does Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven say? I'm in I'm in John five forty here. I'm sorry. Jimmy, we're at the, la- the, for the original notes. Do you have those by any chance or not? Sandy's got copies, I think. You know. We're really, honestly, we're probably the last page of your notes. Is that the last page of your notes you got? <laughs> I'm going to tell you one thing. We, never, we don't make it easy for you people out there. We really don't. We don't make it easy for anybody here. Are you, do you have that, Jimmy, by any chance? Okay, okay, okay. Sorry you got shut down in traffic there. Okay, now, if you'll go to, uh, do you have uh, the doctrine of election, D, the doctrine of election means that unbelievers never had a chance to believe? D? I'm laughing because I made this so complicated for everybody. The doctrine of, of election means that unbelievers never had a chance to believe. <laughs> like I said, I'm going to try to figure out another system. Yes, uh, well, let's. No, I hear what you're saying, yeah. That's the difficulty in this. But what I'm saying is, what does the scripture say? That's what I'm saying. Because Matthew 23, Jimmy, we're on Matthew 23, 37, okay? And it says, do you see that reference down there anywhere? Matthew 23, Sandy's bringing his sheet right now. Okay, good, good. That's what we need then. That's what we need. That's great. We're looking at Matthew 23, 37 and John 5, 40. Y'all have that? Good. That's good. All right. So Matthew 23, 37 says, Wendell, can you read that again? Oh, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. Can't get the people right, let alone the numbers. Yeah, you were unwilling. So what does that tell us? You didn't want to, yeah. He's, he's, putting it, he's putting it on them, right? He's saying, we talk about election, but you ever, nevertheless, the other side of the coin, he's saying, y'all, you, you didn't listen, you know? You didn't, you didn't come to me. I tried to, I'll reach out to you again and again and again. How about in the Old Testament? I said all those prophets to you. You didn't listen to anybody. That's your, that's on you for not doing it. 
right. That's right. And that's why election is necessary and the work of God is necessary and the Holy Spirit is necessary and the word of God is necessary. Because we're just completely, we don't even know how dead we are probably as sinners. And he's got to do a, literally a miracle in our hearts to bring us out of what we were to what, we, what he wants us to, into, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Transferring kingdoms. Yeah, we're in the same boat, yeah. Right, 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 yeah. Right, we're talking about now how people, we just talked about, Jimmy, before you got here, uh, how uh, it says, you know, Jesus says to people, your faith has made you well. It's your faith, you know, even though we know this comes from God. But nevertheless, on the other side of the coin, he's saying to people, it's your faith has made you well, you know. Uh, like Stephen preached, and uh, I just thought it's Acts 7, 51, you don't have to turn there. Stephen preached a sermon, and they, they want to kill him. He says, you men who are stiff-necked stiff and uncircumcised and hard and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. You guys are always resisting, resisting, resisting. That's a choice they're making. 751. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what's funny about all this? Israel was a chosen nation, elect nation. And a lot of these people are resisting God, you know? But uh, then John, uh, uh, John 5:30, John 5:39 and 40, Jesus says to the Pharisees, "You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's those that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me, so you may have life. You're unwilling to do it. I'm putting it on you. It's your fault for not coming to me. That's what he says. I think." Somebody came to this church one time, visited, who was not a, didn't believe in lecture or anything. He was, he came for a little while. I don't know why he was here. He was just here to aggravate everybody. Not Ty. Okay. Not Ty. No, Ty was a different ball game. He was a hyper Calvinist. He was something different going on there. Not since you've been here, Jimmy. And he was here, this other, not Ty. Ty, well, you weren't. Ty was here before you got here too. But another guy was here for a little while visiting, and he wanted a pastor to start a church, and uh, he didn't believe in election or any of that. And he kept criticizing us, and he said, "You guys." He invited me over to dinner at his house one time, and it was all for the purpose. Me and Sandy went over there, all for the purpose of criticizing us. I wonder what this guy's inviting us over for. I didn't like the setup. I'll be honest with you. I thought it was a setup, and it probably and it really was. You know, invites over, and you know feeds us the fatted calf and then sacrifices us, you know. So, hey, you want some ice cream? <laughs> I remember he gave us ice cream. Anyway, yeah, how come you guys, he said, you guys have an overbalance of the sovereignty of God. Now, I have to admit, some of what he said was true, because in the sense of, yeah, we could say God is sovereign over all. He is. So, therefore, we could say, well, it's all in his hands ultimately anyway. But, I, I know what he was saying. He was saying people are always talking about that, but they're not talking about the other side, our responsibility a lot of times. You know? 
so I, I thought, thought, well, you know, he's actually got a little bit of a point here because a lot of people I know I've talked to in this church seem to have, have pushed the other side too strongly, you know, whereas there's both sides to think about. But uh, anyway, um, the, the fact is uh, people do have a choice. They're given a choice. All right, E, election is unfair. People say that's an objection. Election is unfair. A lot of people have said that. And I've, I've even wondered about myself when I first started thinking about this. Well, it doesn't seem sound fair to me at all, you know. Uh, but as I said, let's just give people the choice to accept Christ or not. Let's just say, forget about being spiritually good. They just have the opportunity. Well, how many people are going to make the choice? Well, you still got in the same boat probably, you know. Um, Grudem says it would be perfectly fair for God to save. We talk about fairness. Perfectly fair for God to not save anyone. We've said this many times in this church. He can do what he wants with the creation since he's the creator. I think of Matthew 20. I got so many thoughts. Okay, no one deserves salvation, Grudem says. That he saves anyone is an act of mercy, first of all. Matthew 20, I think of Matthew 20, where uh, the, the parable of the, uh, the, uh, the guy he gives, uh, the, uh, you know, the people out there wandering around, and he hires a guy early in the day, pays him uh, one denarius. And then he hires the guys later on, you know, it's like temp temporary job service. <laughs> Last one, hour left, pays them the same, same amount. And then they all come back in. How come you didn't give me more? I worked it all day in the hot sun, and yet you paid this guy the same amount as you pay me. He says, can I not do with what, I, what I want to with my own? That's the great statement. I can do what I want to. I'm the boss here, you know. And God, God can do what he wants to. He's, in, he's the one in charge. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Let me read Matthew 20. You go ahead and turn to Matthew 20. We'll turn there real quick before we go to Romans 9. Matthew 20, that parable, which is fascinating to me, uh, because uh, it's fascinating to me because when we had Greek class at Clearwater Christian College, we had to translate this passage. And uh, we were talking about the passage, and, you know, whenever you do this, and then you start giving your translations, and, the teach, and then you get into theology, you start, you start talking about theology. And uh, I was, I had been in Chicago, Bob, Bob does, for a few years, and I worked at UPS downtown, and I was in the Teamsters Union. They don't mess with the union, because they get, they, they get money, they get the raises for you and all that. You, were you in the union in Maine, Stephen? Stephen? Oh, okay. So, Chicago's known for their unions. Strong unions. You, you cross the union, you could die, you know? <laughs> so don't mess with the union. You pay your union dues, they'll take care of you too. So I was up there, and uh, I I'd come out of that environment. I came back here to Clearwater to finish school, and uh, I was thinking that way, you know? Uh, and uh, the teacher said, we did this parable. And I'm like, man, this ain't right. What is this kind of a, this is a kind of the deal for unions to, to deal with right here, you know? He's giving this guy the same pay for one hour as the whole day. That's what I was thinking, you know, in my head. This is not fair. I was, I was angry sitting in Greek class. Yeah, <laughs> I was mad. And, uh, and then he says, I said, I said out loud, I would never work for that guy. That's what I said. And the guy next to me said, I do work for that guy. And I thought, what? I thought, oh, no. It's talking about the Lord, I think, here and being in charge. He can do what he. And then look at, look at what it says in Matthew 20, verse uh, 12. Uh, 
These men uh, have worked only one hour. You paid them the same amount. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden and scorching heat of the day. He answered and said to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for one denarius? That's true. Take what is yours and, and go, but I, wish to give, but I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or, listen to this, is your eye envious because I'm generous? Last shall be first, first shall be last. He's saying, I'm generous to people. I'm generous to this guy. What are you worried about what this guy's making over here for? I, because I'm generous to him, you know. I'm thinking, where's the union steward at, you know? Let's call him in right about now. But, so, yeah, uh, so, you know, God's, it, we talk about fairness. That's our level, what we think, right? Go to Romans chapter 9, Romans 9, 20. Uh, Romans 9, 20 to 24, and you go back to this passage, and I don't think a lot of people like this passage. <laughs> Certainly never hear any, from the other crowd, you don't hear any sermons on Romans 9 to 11 ever, that's for sure. That's, that's forget about that section, except for uh, a couple of them, you know. For, uh, you know, how they're here without a preacher, you hear sermons on that. Or you hear a sermon about Romans 9, 1, 2, Paul, you know, didn't he would be willing to separate himself from Christ for the sake of his brethren in Israel. But then you go to uh, Romans 9, 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a power over the right over the clay? To make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one for common use? What if God, willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endure with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so uh, to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called, also called not uh, from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. So ultimately, we don't have the right to, speak, to talk back to God, you know. Uh, Sandy used to be potter. She had a potter's will. Or potter. She had a potter's will, and she would make stuff like ceramic cups and stuff. And she, who's in charge of that potter's will? She was. She could do whatever, make whatever she wanted, the way she wanted to make it. And if it came out not so great, that's what she did. So we can't. Who are we to question God on election? Now I, you know, a lot of people aren't satisfied with that, but that's what it says. You know, what are you going to do? going to talk back to God. I mean, he's the one that's the creator, the ruler, the king, the sovereign, all this stuff. So, the boss. You know. um, all right, any questions or comments about election? We'll move on to the next thing. Uh, Sandy, you have a gospel call, number three? Okay. i got to hold this thing because I feel like it's one of these. Uh, what did uh, that guy, the, the terrorist, the number one terrorist, what was that guy's name that we killed over? Bin Laden. He carried around one of those... Uh, he will around one of those, what does it call those, Bob? The life support thing or whatever it was to get. Remember that he wheeled around the medical thing. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know. He was, I always, what was that called? Where you get. I don't know. It's like a bag of liquid hooked up to the thing and you wheel it around. It's got a, the IV, whatever it was. Yeah, that, that's what I feel like I'm carrying this around, like <laughs> Bin Laden. Anyway, sorry. Uh, systematic theology, part three, soteriology. We're talking about salvation, the gospel call, okay? Gospel call. 
we're talking about when the call of the gospel goes out. Everybody got the notes? Okay. We have to distinguish between two calls of the gospel the Bible speaks of. Well, it doesn't term it this way. Theologians do, but they've been labeled this way. There's the inward call and the outward call. Okay. Or we could call it the general call and the special call. Uh, or we could call it the internal call or the external call. What are we talking about? The outward call means the gospel goes out to the whole world to preach. We go out there and preach the gospel to people. Um, you uh, witness to people, or a guy gets in the pulpit and preaches to people, sends the call of the gospel, hey, you guys can be saved. Come to Christ to be saved, right? That's the outward call of the gospel. The inward call of the, uh, of the, the inward call is where the gospel goes out to everybody, but God works in somebody's heart and saves them inwardly. That's, a, that's, that, that's what we call the inward call, okay? That's how theologians have used these terms for years and years. They've just labeled it this way, okay? You don't have to call it this way. The Bible doesn't call it this way, but this is how you can distinguish it. Uh, let's talk about the outward call of the first. Like I said, you know, people that go to Myanmar, or not Myanmar, uh, well, anywhere, Honduras, I was going to say, uh, they, you know, preach to, Bob goes on, Bob and Sally have been to Honduras several times, They, I think every year, right? They go out evangelizing? Okay, well, periodically. Yeah, and they go village to village, right? And they witness to people and all. That's the outward call of the gospel. They're giving the gospel to people. Go to USF to witness to people. Outward call of the gospel. Um, Jesus commanded us to do that. that. That's a command. We have the command to do it. Matthew 29, 18 to 20, right? The, gospel, the uh, Great Commission. Go out there and make disciples of all nations, you know? Preach to everybody out there. Go to Luke 24. This is a good verse on this. We don't ever say this verse. Uh, Luke twenty four forty six. Luke twenty four forty six. He said to them, "This is his disciples. He's getting ready to leave. That thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. That repentance and for, for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem." Very clear, right? Go out there and preach the gospel to all nations. And, and he talks about repentance here. Then Acts 1.8 uh, is a clear, he, just before he is ascending to heaven, Acts 1.8, the last thing he says, one of the last things he says, or the last thing he says is this, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And <laughs> Daniel just got the message 24 hours later. And Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So he says, go out there to, and preach. That's the outward call, right? And the early believers obeyed the command to preach the gospel. Go to Acts 3.19. Peter obeys the command. Peter and John, they go, they go out there and preach. Um, <clears throat> Acts 3.19. <clears throat> Peter's preaching a sermon. And he says, therefore, repent and return. So that your sins may be wiped out in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Okay? Repent. Chapter 4, verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. Um, in verse 12, there's no salvation, there's salvation in no one else. 
There's no other name under heaven given among men by, by which we must be saved. So Peter's out there preaching. Go to 528. He's doing exactly what he should be doing, preaching the outward call of the gospel. What we call the outward call. He's preaching. Well, I mean, that means I mean, preaching to everybody, irrespective of anything. I don't care who they are, whatever. He's just preaching the gospel to everybody. Matthew 528. Um, the, uh, the, they, were, they were out there witnessing and all, and the, and the Pharisees get upset. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, your teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter said, we have to obey God rather than man. And then he's taught, and then what does he do? Launches into <laughs> you, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death, hanging him on a cross. He's the one whom God exalted to his right hand. He's the prince and savior. We're witnesses of these things. And so we're supposed to be doing this, preaching the gospel. And then Philip, we go to Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Philip fulfills this command, just as they were told to do. Acts uh, 8, 4. Therefore those who had been scattered went abroad, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So these guys are doing it. They're, they're preaching like they should. Paul does it. Go to Acts 9, 19. Acts 9, 19, he gets saved, and, <clears throat> he took, he, and it says for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he's the son of God. So he's doing it. He's preaching in the synagogues. All these people aren't in the synagogues. They're not saved. They're unbelievers. So he's preaching to them. And you go to, to Mars Hill, Acts 17. Kenny Fuller was telling me the other day he's, he's actually been on Mars Hill <laughs> over there in, uh, area of, in, in, in uh, Greece. Uh, Acts 17, 31. Uh, here's Paul preaching to people in Athens. He fixed a day, God fixed a day in which he will judge the world through, in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we'll hear you again concerning this. Verse 34, some men joined him and believed. Okay, so you have... The gospel call, call going out to everybody. Some people believe. Some people sneer. Some people make mock it. Mock it. Others believe. For, for definitely, okay? So you have to, you have to, in order for people to respond, somebody's got to proclaim the gospel. doesn't mean that everybody's going to be saved. When that call goes out, not everybody's going to be saved, right? All right, see how we're called. Then the inward call. Inward call. B, people are spiritually dead in their sins. Think about this. Because people are spiritually dead in their sins, is it enough to present the gospel, to, to preach the gospel out there. Is it enough? Is that enough? Will people be saved just by that? Will they be saved just by that outward call of the gospel? They won't because people are spiritually dead in their sins, right? Ephesians 2, they're hostile toward God, Romans 8. They're blinded by Satan, 2 Corinthians 4. They don't naturally accept the things of the Spirit of God, right? 1 Corinthians 2, they don't even understand it. Uh, they're darkened in their understanding. They're, you know, uh, Ephesians 4 talks about all those verses about how they're darkened in their understanding. They don't know, they're hostile toward God and so on. So, because all these things are true, when the gospel call goes out to them, often falls on deaf ears, right? Just they hear, but they don't get it. Or they refuse it, or they reject it, or they delay it, or whatever. But then when the, when the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit is working, that's the inward call, we, we call it, or the internal call. Then the people are, you know, God works in their heart and they're able to be saved, right? God makes the truth effective in their heart. Makes it effective. 
So the, the hearers brought the saving faith. Okay? Now, I'm not minimizing the gospel itself because Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God and salvation. But it's the power of God and salvation to who? To everyone who believes, right? And they don't believe unless God's working in their heart. Uh, so all these elements are necessary in the, in the gospel call. You know, you pray for people. You preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit works in their heart. Um, they respond to the gospel. All these things are necessary. Um, but, you know, um, and God uses the preaching of his word, by the way. I'm not minimizing any of that. For, for example, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Did I say I have that in your notes? To this he called you through our gospel. He called the Thessalonians through our, Paul's gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the Lord called people to himself to be saved, but he used Paul's gospel or the preaching of the word, right? Paul did, to bring people to himself. Those things are all necessary, and that's what happened. Um, all right. Does anybody have any questions so far? We're going to go into the doctrine, doctrinal part of this. Go ahead, Steve. Right? Yeah, right. And that's a good verse because his own, he came to his own and his what? And what does it say? His own received him not, right? They didn't receive him. Just like the call of the gospel oftentimes. So what? Yeah, so Steve, go to Romans 8, chapter 8. Romans 8, 28. Okay, the doctrine, the definition of this, the inward call. Here's how it's defined, the special call, the call that we're talking about when God works in a person's heart. Effective, by the way, the old theologians used to call this the effectual call. Have you ever heard that? The effectual call, that's the old term. Now, you don't say that today. Nobody even knows what you're talking about. It's the effective call, okay? It's the effect. God makes the gospel effective to a person to be saved. Effective calling is an act of God the Father speaking through human pro the human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. So in the effective call, uh, you know, you may have heard the gospel a thousand, a hundred times too, but then that one time you hear it and God says, boom, and he nails you and you respond and that's the effective call, okay? The uh, inward call is made effective there. Go to Romans 8, 28 through 30. 8, 28 through 30. Uh, we talked about this already, but I just want to show you how it works here. Uh, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be con be con become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. These whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. We call What do we call this? What this just, it's been labeled this. We call it the golden chain of salvation, right? Five links in the golden chain of salvation. And here it is. He foreknew certain people, it says. He predestined those same people to be conformed to the image of Christ. He, the very same people he, he called, he justified. Uh, I'm sorry, the very ones he predestined, he also called. The very ones he called, he also justified. The very ones he justified, he also glorified. Okay? And so we have the, the word calling in there. That's the, that's the effective. When he, called, when, he, when he called, that wasn't just he sent the gospel out to anybody in, in particular in general, and they 
did whatever they want to with it. No, he, he brought it home. He brought it home to your heart, and he made it real in your heart, and, and he saved you, right? And let's just use this illustration. Jimmy Wiggum was foreknown by God <laughs> in eternity past, elected by God to be saved. And, uh, and when, you know, and, but Jimmy wasn't alive, obviously. But when he came into in time in history to, to the point he was born, and he lived, he lived for a certain number of years on the planet, then God called him to himself. He may have been religious for a while. I don't know. I think you probably were, Jimmy. Just religious, right, but lost. But then you, he brought it home to Jimmy's heart that one day, uh, the one time in his life he brought it home, and then Jimmy became a saved man, and, that's, and God justified him. Okay, God called him and justified him, and that's what happened. You can't escape from that divine call. If he's calling you to himself to be saved, you can, if he's making that a point to do that, you can't escape from that call. It's inescapable or irresistible, yeah. And the problem with that is Romans uh, <clears throat> 8, 29, and 30, it's just so, it's just one thing after another, the same people. And he said, he's making a point. He foreknew these people, those whom he foreknew, certain people. And he makes it clear that it's those, not everybody and their brother. And then, yeah, effective. And then he predestined those same people, called those same people, glorified those same people, and they're all in the past tense because it's as good as done, you know. And, uh, and so that's how it works. You can't escape it. Um, What's, uh, let's go to 1 Peter 2.9, just show, show some other verses on this. In fact, Bob, you want to go to 1 Peter 2.9, and Jimmy, you want to go to 1 Corinthians 1.9? Wendell, you want to go to 1 Peter 5.10? Uh, it says the same thing elsewhere, many references, many times, many different ways. Um, Romans 8 is probably the classic example of it, I guess, but <clears throat> what does 1 Peter 2.9 say? Yeah, I want you to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So these people, he definitely saved them. And then he now wants them to proclaim the gospel. What does 1 Corinthians 1 9 say? Okay, these people that were called in the fellowship with the Son, is that just a hit or miss deal? They threw out the gospel call and some responded, others didn't. Well, it's, it's definite because it hit because they were called to the fellowship of his son. So these people are fellowshiping with Christ. Yeah? So it's obviously they were saved for sure, for def definitely. What's First Peter 5.10 say? Yeah, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory. Is that a hit or miss deal? I, yeah, I witnessed to five people and one got saved. Or, or nobody got saved. No, it says he called you to his eternal glory. So they're definitely saved, you know. Definitely, and we're called. Grudem, 
says these verses indicate that no powerless, <clears throat> merely human calling is in view. This calling is rather a summons. You can think of it like that. It's a summons from the king of the universe. And it has such power that it brings about the response that it asks for in people's hearts. It's an act of God that guarantees a response. It guarantees a response. If the, I tell you what, man. If the FBI summoned me and they said, well, let's just say the IRS summoned me to something and said, we need to, we, we, we're going to talk to you. I'm going to say, okay, because if I don't, they're, they're going to end up getting me before it's all over with, you know. I'm going to go talk, but that's a poor illustration. Maybe when God summons a person, he's, there's no resistance going on. He's, he's going to, now other people can resist the gospel, but not the ones who are being summoned by God like that in a special call, you know. So here's some examples of this. <clears throat> Let's look at some, the day of Pentecost. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Acts 2, 14. By the way, Jimmy, uh, I mean, uh, Jimmy, uh, yeah, Jimmy, James, and Kia went and saw Daniel this past weekend up in Alabama. So they should be driving home right now. Uh, Acts 2.14. You know, Peter's preaching, right? But Peter taking his stand with the 11 raises his voice, and he declares and preaches. But go to verse 37. Now, when the people heard this, the sermon, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh, brother, what shall we do? Peter said to him, to them, repent, and each of you be baptized. Which I'm not going to go into that subject right now, but Peter preaches a message of salvation by grace. We know that. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, you're, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the, verse 40, with many other words, I'm sorry, verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will do what? Verse 39, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. That's a sure, definite salvation call. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's right. In fact, as we go on here, verse 40, with many of the words he testified, be saved from this perverse generation, verse 41. So then those who had received his word, not everybody received it, but those who did were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And look at verse 47. Uh, well, verse 46, day by day, they continue with one mind in the temple. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people, and what? The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who's, saving the, who's doing the saving here? And who's calling people to himself? The Lord is, right? It said he added to their number. Well, there's no doubt about that. You know, we, people, have, people have always talked about numbers in churches, and I went through this whole deal with everything's about numbers, and I got all that out of my system, by the way, a long time ago, okay? Thankfully. And, uh, but but uh, here it says, oh, this is the Lord adding to the church. Well, that's definite. That's, you, you can say that's definite. Those people, the 3,000, that's definite. Okay, they were all saved. You know that. Uh, that's one example of this inward call that goes out and, and God brings it home to certain people. Then go to Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 8, 26. Uh, you know, 
you have the, it says the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, you know, he's down there in Samaria, right? He says, uh, go down to the south, go to the desert road over here. I, I got it, some, a job for you to do, verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So you have the angel directing Philip to go to a certain area. And then he sees this guy driving the chariot. He says, I want you to, the spirit says, go to this chariot right here. I mean, this is taking this guy, Philip, way out of the way. I think Mike said it was 70 miles away or something one time. I never studied it, but how far the distance. But um, to, to, to witness to this one man for the, for, for the express purpose of saving him from his sins, okay? And this guy gets saved. I mean, this is definitely God working on this guy alone to, to bring him to himself, without a doubt, you know. Uh, effectively saves him. Go to Acts 16, one of my favorite verses. Acts 16, 13. Uh, you have P, uh, Paul and the guys going down there to have a time of worship <coughs> in uh, Philippi. And uh, Acts 16, 13, on the Sabbath day, <coughs> we went outside the gate to a riverside. Isn't it interesting to do it on the Sabbath day, by the way? <laughs> Where they, we were supposing there would be a place of prayer. We sat down and began speaking to the woman who assembled. That's because they knew the Jews would be there. Uh, and, and a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple, fa purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. A person who was not totally saved, but a person who was like uh, the guy in Acts 10, uh, what's his name? Cornelius, you know. Uh, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. How plainer can it get, you know? This is an inward call. Lord opened her heart. I'm saving that lady right there. And he does, okay? And he makes it very plain that he does, no doubt about it. And uh, when, she and her, when she and her household had been baptized, and, and the rest of the house were saved too. So you have these illustrations. You got one more, the Thessalonian believers. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1. 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse uh, 2, verses 2 through 5. Well, I'll start with verse 1, and we'll, we'll close with this. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness of our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. You know what? This is what you call messing up here. Oh, I'm in chapter 2. Sorry about that. Chapter 1, verse 2. Sorry. We give thanks to God. Always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Now listen how Paul, uh, how it says he preached to the Thessalonians or, the, or how it was done. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. So on, verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. And he's already, he's already starts on it. And listen to verse 5. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. Okay? Now the outward call only would be, you know, just in word only, right? But... It came also, not, not to mention, say that God's not working through the preaching of his word. I'm not saying that. But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with foolish conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I mean, it came with everything, right? The Holy Spirit is working and all this. Verse 9, they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we have with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. So this is when Paul says, when we preached, <laughs> God brought it home, right? The message so... You know, he, 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 made it, he, made, he made the call effective, you know, and effectively save these people. So, and that's why we can have confidence when, you know, you witness to people and you think, man, am I doing any good at all? Well, I mean, God's going to save somebody somewhere, right? He's going to save his elect. 
He's going to bring it home to his elect, so you can be confident he's going to save people. Now, you may not, you may not see this happen you know, like you want to or whatever, but it's going to happen. So you can go, you can witness with confidence. God's going to do a work. We can think that way, okay? Uh, 